blessing that was, and uh, what a blessing. All right, well, thank you, ladies, for singing for us this morning. What a blessing that was, and uh, what a blessing it is to be together this morning. Uh, I realise that I haven't seen most of you for quite a few weeks now, as we've been uh, together, but together in a different manner, together in a virtual uh, way here on uh, uh, live streaming and and I want to say thank you to Pastor Lloyd for uh, having done this faithfully for us over these last few weeks and uh, also want to especially mention Andrew uh, for being a part of uh, heading up the, la- the, the live streaming and, and uh, conducting it, directing those that are on the, the desk and, and uh, uh, facilitating the singers and and all those that have taken part over these past few weeks. So thank you, Andrew, very much. And and a thank you to Pastor Lloyd as he's away at the moment and on holidays. And we pray for him that he has a blessed time and uh, with his family. All right, this morning we're going to uh, look at Amos. And uh, verse 12 of our, of our reading is, uh, is our text this morning. Verse 12, I'll just read that again. And uh, then we'll have a few words of introduction. Verse 12 of chapter 3 of Amos. Thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and in Damascus in a couch. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, there's many verses in the Bible that are a struggle, aren't they? There are many verses in the scriptures we come across and think, well, what does that mean? And, uh, you know, this is one of them, I'm sure. And you might be saying, well, I hope you can unravel it a little bit for me, Brother Robin. Well, I've got to unravel it for myself, let alone unravel it for you. But anyway, we'll have a look at it. But I, I don't know about you, but you know, reading through just the, the minor prophets and, and the prophets of the Old Testament, sometimes it's baffling, isn't it? You don't know whether they're talking about their time, whether, where they are, or whether they're talking about some time in the future, perhaps a few years in the future, or perhaps there's, there's stuff that they're speaking about that actually hasn't happened even yet. And it's all mingled together. It's all jumbled at times. And you think, where does this fit? Is this history? Is this actual event that happened right then? Or is it going to happen? Or is it still to happen? And it's kind of often, as I said, jumbled together. And it's hard for us. But how about we have a word of prayer? And I've got three points this morning. You think, how do you get those points out of that verse, Brother Robin? Well... We'll have a look at it. It's more of an overview of Amos, perhaps, than just this one verse. But we will look at this first. But my three main points this morning are that we should agree with God. When God says something, let's agree with it, whether we feel like it or not, whether it's palatable or not. Number two, listen attentively to God while you have ears to hear. Listen attentively to God. And number three, serve God diligently while you have legs. All right? 
Serve God diligently while you have legs. We'll look at those three points as we go, but let's have a word of prayer right now and then we'll dive into it. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for a new day in which to be together, even though we perhaps can't see each other, but we can experience together reading your word and hearing the singing of songs of your of, of the faith. And thank you for those that sang this morning, Paul and the ladies, and uh, for those that played the piano. We just want to thank you for them and commit them to you and pray your blessing upon them. Lord, bless each family at home as they're sitting and watching. Father, bless each one, we pray. And uh, Lord, draw us closer together through your word, we pray. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that binds us together with cords that cannot be broken. And Lord, we just pray these things now and asking that you would just help us, Lord, help us with Amos, help us with some of the things that he said and help us, Lord, to apply it to ourselves. We realise, Lord, that he's speaking specifically to Israel and it's, uh, there's things to come still that haven't happened to Israel, but they will. But Lord, we as uh, your New Testament believers, there's many principles that we can take for ourselves and we thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Amos, as the scriptures tell us, and you might flick back to chapter 1 and verse 1, Amos is the preacher here, he's the prophet, and he's from a little place called Tekoa, Tekoa. Now, Tekoa was about 12 miles south of Jerusalem. And uh, uh, Amos, it says, was a herdman or a shepherd, as we would see there in, in chapter 3 and also further on in chapter 7. Uh, the words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa. Now, if you, if you sort of try and picture a little bit Jerusalem and then down south a little bit Bethlehem, where David was born, and then south a little bit further than that, you find Tekoa. Bethlehem was roughly halfway between Jerusalem and Tekoa. Now you think about Jerusalem was where the temple was and where all the sacrifices were. And Bethlehem, a lot of sheep were kept around uh, Bethlehem. Uh, David was from there. And they would have kept a lot of the sheep that were prepared for the temple worship there in Bethlehem and then even further south at Tekoa. Uh, Amos was from there. He was among the herdmen of Tekoa. So not that far really from Jerusalem. It might have, it might have taken longer than just straight to Tekoa to get there. It was, you know, as I said, about 12 miles, but you had to go a circuitous route to get there because it's pretty mountainous uh, territory. And uh, uh, the further away you got from Jerusalem, the more barren it got as well and the more hilly towards the Dead Sea. But it was good enough country to run sheep. And uh, evidently there must have been pockets there as well near Tekoa that were good enough to have um, fruit trees. Uh, maybe they had underground water, I don't know, and watered the fruit trees. But it also says that Amos was a, uh, a gatherer of sycamore fruit or figs. They were a type of figs. 
And uh, so Amos was a shepherd and a, a fig farmer, or perhaps he worked for fig farmers. He, he picked the fruit for the farmers at a certain time of the year. And uh, so this Tekoa was probably not that big a, a, a place really. It wasn't a big city, I don't believe, just a village. And uh, there were herdmen there. There were uh, fig gatherers or fig pickers there. And, and it sort of tickles my fancy a little bit because a few years ago now, we, uh, I and my family lived in a little place called Crookwell uh, for a while down in New South Wales. And, and I was there as a, as a shearer. Uh, shearing sheep, and uh, uh, there were a lot of potato growers around Crookwell. And uh, the people about Crookwell would say, oh yeah, Crookwell, that's a place full of spud growers and shearers. And so I look here and I think, well, Tekoa was probably, no probably noted as being a place where there were uh, shepherds and figmen or fig growers, and uh, that was probably how it was known as, the little place of Tekoa, uh, shepherds and fig farmers lived there. All right, that's a little bit about Amos, but uh, it's interesting that Amos uh, was uh, in the days of Uzziah, it says there in verse 1, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, and I love this, you know, the Bible is specific, isn't it? And it's lovely that it tells us, you know, it tells us historically when this was. And it says two years before the earthquake. Now, we don't know too much about this earthquake, but obviously it was notable. And it'll be a bit like us, you know, in a few years' time, 2020, the year of the virus, you know. And uh, so this happened, and it's interesting also, two years before the earthquake. So Amos, he was from Tekoa, which was in Judah, but he went up to Israel. God took him up to Israel to preach to those in Israel around Bethel, you know, out of his own country. And, uh, but it must, he mustn't have written it until after the earthquake. Otherwise, he couldn't say two years before the earthquake, could he? But it was a specific time. You know, Uzziah was king of Judah. Jeroboam was king of, of Israel. And it happened two years before the earthquake. Now, we don't know, as I said, much about this earthquake, but it's probably the same earthquake as is mentioned in Zechariah, I think it is. Zechariah 14 and verse 5 mentions the earthquake in the days of Uzziah and mentions them having to flee from the earthquake. And, uh, a time, and he's speaking there in Zechariah about a time to come where you will flee like they fled in the days of the earthquake. So there we go. Uh, Amos is the, uh, is the preacher. Amos is the prophet. But he's sent by God up to Israel. And when he gets there, he starts to preach to them. And in the first chapter of, of uh, Amos, he speaks about the judgment that God's going to bring upon uh, six nations that are round about. And he starts off in Damascus in verse 3, Gaza in verse 6, uh, Tyrus in verse 9, Edom in verse 11, Ammon in verse 13, and then in chapter 2, uh, Moab 
in verse 1 of chapter 2. And Amos starts to denounce the sins of these countries and these uh, places and he starts to uh, mention the judgment that God's going to bring upon them. And I can imagine the hearers in his presence up there in Israel thinking, oh, go get them, Amos, you know, go tell them how bad they are and the judgment that God's going to bring upon them. And then he begins to speak about the judgment that he's going to bring upon Judah in in verse 4 of chapter 2. And they think, oh, yeah, give it to them too, you know. Those in Judah, they're wicked. Oh, just you wait, Israel. Because he begins on you then in verse 6. Thus saith the Lord in verse 6 of chapter 2. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. Now I'm not going to read much more from here on. But really from here on, the whole of the rest of Amos, eight chapters, is denouncement against Israel, is speaking about their sins, the way that they had uh, mistreated the poor, the way that they had uh, uh, mistreated the worship of the Lord. Right from the beginning of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, when they withdrew from Rehoboam, And Jeroboam, it says, led Israel. In fact, he made Israel to sin. He led them away from the worship of the Lord in Jerusalem. And he said, look, brethren, it's too far and it's too hard for you to go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord there. We'll stay here and we'll worship here. And Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the scriptures tell us, set set up a calf there in Bethel, a, a golden calf like they did back in the wilderness, and and also a calf up in Dan. And he said, these are your gods, O Israel. Worship these. You don't have to go to Jerusalem anymore. He said, we'll work it out ourselves. And God really, through Amos, he denounces that idolatrous worship for the rest of this, uh, for the rest of this, of his prophecy. But I'm not going to go through all that, okay? I want us to go through to our text now and uh, just sort of keep it in our mind, the fact that God denounces Israel through Amos' prophecy and it just gets stronger and stronger and it builds and it builds. And uh, virtually at the end of every chapter, you'll see that, that God speaks about the fact that he's going to carry them away into captivity and uh, they're going to be uh, destroyed. And, and our verse here in, in verse 12 basically speaks about how it'll happen. It's just, another, it's just another sort of metaphor, you might say, or another picture of how it will happen. And I'll read it again, our, our verse, uh, verse 12. Thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in a corner of a bed and in Damascus in a couch. The time that Amos is speaking to Israel now 
is a time of relative prosperity. Under this Jeroboam, who was king at the time, uh, it, they had relative prosperity. They had calmness. They had quietness. Uh, they, they were doing pretty well uh, physically, financially. But you can see all the rest of the sins that were going on and morally they were bankrupt. Uh, their worship of God was bankrupt. And yet they thought they were doing great. They'd made up their own religion. And they were going great guns. But they were at relative ease. At this time, they had control of Damascus. Uh, Jeroboam had overtaken uh, the, uh, the Syrians and they had control of Damascus. And that's why Damascus is mentioned here in a couch. But the, the phrases... Uh, the out, out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and in Damascus in a couch is a picture of the prosperity that they had and the ease in which they were living, especially the rich, especially those that were in uh, high echelons of, of government and the king. He, they, he, they were living well. They were at ease, you know. Uh, in a bed, the corner of a bed is probably more a picture of a divan or a couch, you know, in the corner of a room and you just lounge on the couch, you know. You lounge on the couch and I think over in, in, in one of the chapters it speaks about lounging on the, on the bed or lounging in the, on the couch and, and eating the, the, the fat out of the flock and the calves out of the stall. So they had calves in the feedlot and, and uh, you know, grain-fed beef and... They were living well. They were living up, you know. They speak about getting wine and bring me another bottle, you know. Bring me another bottle. And uh, it's all in there. We're not going to sort of put, uh, point out each, each place, but it's all there. Uh, so they were living it up at the time. And that's why it mentions out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and in Damascus in a couch. All right, let's sort of have a look at the rest of the verse, beginning at the beginning. As the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear. Happy days. What is that talking about? You know, I've had a little bit to do with sheep and I've never pulled two legs out of the mouth of a lion or a piece of an ear and I don't want to start trying, you know. And I don't see too many people in the Bible that have done it either except David. Well, David, is, he, he's just another man, isn't he? Like, he's, he's just out of this world. Uh, not too many of us are like David, you know. But uh, David did. Actually, come with me to, to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and we'll see what David says about the lion when he was just a shepherd boy and he was only a young fellow, you know, a, a teenager. But 1 Samuel Chapter 17 and verse 34, uh, David is before Saul at this moment and, and he's, uh, he's, he's presented himself as someone that's prepared to go out and fight Goliath. And uh, he, he's talking to, to Saul and Saul says, look, you're just a, you can't go out to fight against the Philistine, but you're just a youth. You, you haven't trained as a man of war. You've, you've done nothing of that. You know, you can't handle him. None of my men can handle him. How are you going to handle him, David? And David says, well, look, 
thy servant kept his father's sheep in verse 34 and there came a lion. There came a lion to take one of the flock and, and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. So I'm presuming there that a lion came at one stage and took a lamb out of the flock and a bear came at another uh, time and took a lamb out of the flock and, and, and David says, and I went out after him. Now, I'm going to presume that he's talking about the lion here, okay, because I'm wanting to talk about the lion and the lion was the one he talked about first. So I'm going to presume that in verse 35, I went out after him. I went out after the lion and I smote him. And when he arose out of me, uh, against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Verse 35, it says, I delivered it. The lamb, that is, I delivered it out of his mouth. I got a few questions. Was the lamb dead or alive? Don't know. Don't know that it matters either. But even if it was dead, he still got it out of his mouth. He said, that's my sheep. And even though you've already killed it, lion, I'm going to take it off you. You're not going to have the pleasure of eating the thing. And David took it and probably gave it a good burial if it wasn't alive. If it was alive, well, he took it and he nursed it because it would have had wounds and punctures on marks in its body and, and he got oil and, and bandages if it was needed and he bound up that little lamb and he saw it better. But I don't know whether it was alive or whether it was dead. That doesn't matter. The fact is David delivered that lamb and a shepherd, a good shepherd is prepared to deliver his lambs even out of the mouth of a lion. Generally speaking, though, I don't think too many shepherds, even in Israel, delivered lambs out of the mouth of lions. I want you to come with me to Isaiah chapter 31. 31. Isaiah chapter 31. And uh, we'll see a, a mention here of shepherds and, and lions. And it seems to be that probably more the case... I have heard of instances where shepherd boys have chased lions away on their own, you know, one, one shepherd boy uh, in, in places around the world have chased lions away. But I tell you what, it wouldn't be the general shepherd would manage to do that. But chapter 31 of Isaiah and verse 4, chapter 31 and verse 4, uh, says, For thus hath the Lord spoken unto me, like as the lion and the young lion roaring on his prey, when a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him. He will not be afraid of their voice, etc. But there a multitude of shepherds. I reckon probably most of the, the occurrences of when a lion was attacking the sheep in Israel, the shepherd would go and get help from other shepherds. And they'd band together and go against the lion. And often by the time they found the lion, the lion would have already devoured its lamb. And we go back now to uh, go back now to Amos and, and chapter 3 and verse 12. And I think this is more the picture or this is this is the picture here as the shepherd 
taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear. The lion has already devoured the sheep and all that's left is a piece of an ear. All that's left is a bit of leg. He's eaten the rest. He's eaten all the fleshy parts. He's eaten all the good bits, all the fat. He's eaten the whole lot except for the bit of ear. And except for, uh, it seems to picture here the, uh, the dry part of the leg, not the fleshy part. And the dry part is just the bit around the foot, the foot up to the shank, what we would call the shank or the hock of a sheep. And it doesn't have any flesh on it. Bit of skin, but that's it. You, you don't take the, the hock of a sheep home for, for, a, for a meal. You might make a soup out of it, but that's about all. And the lion's already devoured the rest, already devoured the good part of the leg, the fleshy part, and all that's left is this little stump. I can remember one day out on the station um, going to where I had put some dead sheep. You know, when you've got livestock, you're always going to have dead stock as well. And you have to dispose of the dead stock. Now, the stock can die of all sorts of things, maladies, of disease, of, of, uh, of uh, broken legs, of, of other issues. They just die, you know. I can remember going to a, a, a farmer's property one day and he was marking his lambs. And as he, as he marked the lambs and then the, the ewes sort of walked away from the, or they emptied out the, the pen that they were marking the lambs out of. There's two dead lambs in the, in the pen. Just dead. Good lambs. Healthy lambs. Why did they die? Well, they probably came into his yard and they found a, a, a plant in the corner of the yard that was actually poisonous. They ate it and they died. Just happens, you know. The farmer tries to be diligent and he tries to make sure there's no poison weeds in his yard, but he doesn't get them all, misses them. They were dead, just bloated up. So you've got to dispose of them. Anyway, this particular day I took three or four sheep, I can't remember how many it was, out to a, a place in the paddock and just, you know, dump them for a better word because we were on a property of 190,000 acres and, uh, you know, the best place to get rid of stuff was just out there a bit further. And you just dump them and usually the eagles would carry them away or carry a fair bit of it away and the crows. And Well, I went there two days later. I went past this spot because it wasn't far. It was on a, on a route to other places on the farm and, and it was near a dam. And you know, I saw that spot where I'd put those three or four carcasses and there was nothing there. And I thought, oh, that's weird. And I drove over and went to have a look. And you know, it was totally bare except for a few little bits of bone and a few bits of fluffy wool. And you know what had devoured them and just taken the whole lot away? Wild pigs. We don't have lions in Australia, but we have wild pigs and they just crunch up the bones like it's nothing. They eat the lot. But the little bit at the end of the hock 
Well, there's not too much taste left by the time you get there and, well, I'll just spit that bit out. Leave it behind. A little bit of the ear, well, and that seems to be the picture here. And the shepherd finds his lamb that's been taken away and he goes to find it, even though a lion's taken it, and all he finds is a bit of ear and a bit of the hock of the leg. It says two legs. It's just the little bit at the end. Just the foot and a tiny bit of the hock. No meat, nothing there. All the goods taken away. I'll tell you a funny story. And, and we've, hardly, we've, we've hardly begun, but uh, time's nearly up. But I'll tell you a funny story. Years ago, I was shearing at a place in, New, in Victoria and uh, just outside of Bendigo. And uh, I can't remember the, pe- the, 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 the name of the people now, but I'd started shearing with this other, with the, just another one shearer. There was just the two of us and we'd go from place to place. And, and this particular farm was, was a delight to shear there, really was. But I can remember my shearing partner saying to me, you used to, used to shear your sheep and then at dinner time you'd go up to the family house for, for the midday meal. And uh, we started shearing at this property and my shearing partner said to me, he said, you know what? You'll get to be fed uh, brontosaurus bones at this place. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you'll get to be fed brontosaurus bones when we're here. Or tell me more. No, he said, I'm going to leave it a secret. Or do you know what? I never got brontosaurus bones the first year I shore at that property. And I never got brontosaurus bones the second year that I shore at that property. It took three years before, and I kept ribbing him. I said, you told me about brontosaurus bones. When are we going to get these brontosaurus bones? And he said, ah, don't worry, it'll happen. Well, he began to doubt, you know, after a while that we were ever going to get brontosaurus bones. The lady was a lovely lady, but she was pretty old-fashioned in some of her ways. But anyway, what it turned out was we went up there to the house one day and there on the plate, I knew it as soon as I saw it, there it was, a brontosaurus bone. And I could not stop from nearly bursting out laughing. But I had to contain it because, you know, we were eating in front of the lady, you know, that had served them up. But after we left the house, I burst out laughing and we laughed all the way back to the shearing shed. I said, well, now I know what you mean by brontosaurus bones. But what she used to do was she'd collect up from the, the back leg of every sheep that her husband killed for the house, for the household meat. She'd keep that hock from the, from the foot up to the knee of the sheep. And if you know anything about sheep, all that's on them is a tiny little bit of meat about that big on that bone. And it's right up near the knee. And the rest of it, there's nothing, no meat. But she'd keep these bones and they're about this long. And she'd save them up until she had a dozen or more. And then she'd put them in her big a baking dish and she'd bake them and she'd put sauce with it and she'd put uh, alfoil over it and bake these bones and my shearing partner called them brontosaurus bones. Well, did I laugh? But that's what it was. It was the hock of the sheep 
and there's tiny little bit of meat on the end. Well, I, I enjoyed it. It was sheep meat, but I laughed like crazy afterwards. But you know, that's the picture of what's here. Just the hock of a leg is all the shepherd got back from his sheep. And uh, the picture is that the Lord is saying to Israel, because of your sin, I'm going to carry you away like a lion carries away a lamb and all that's going to be left is a remnant, a little bit. All that's going to be left is a few poor people of the land. I'm going to carry away the fat of you, all of you that have lounged on your lounges and and, uh, reclined on your couches and fed yourselves up on the fat of the lambs and the fat of of the cattle and you've uh, lived for yourselves, you're going to be carried away by the lion, the lion being Assyria. The Assyrians devoured Israel. And you know, it was only 15 years about from when when Amos prophesied this, that uh, they were begun to be carried away. And I think it took a total of about 35 years from Amos's prophecy to when Israel was no more. And there was only a remnant left. And brethren, that's the picture that uh, Joel speaks about also in chapter 2 of Joel, that there'd just be a remnant. And God always keeps his remnant, his remnant of believers, the remnant of believers of Israel. And brethren, even a remnant of believers in Australia, if Australia was to go totally apostate, God would always have his remnant. He'd have his believers. But we, as his believers, need to take heed. And we can take heed from from Amos here. We need to agree with God when he says something, even though it's not palatable to us. You have a look in chapter 2, no, chapter 3, sorry, at the beginning. Andrew's already read it for us. Verse 3, can two walk together? except they be agreed. You know, we can only walk with God if we agree with him because he's always right. Israel was not right. Jeroboam was not right to take Israel away and to say, you know, it's too hard to go to Jerusalem. It's too hard to go to church sometimes. I've really enjoyed this lockdown. I'll have to be honest. I've enjoyed staying at home and reclining on my couch watching church, you know. (laughs) I've enjoyed watching Pastor Lloyd preach week by week and he's done a good job and I really thank him for it and the others that have preached in this place for us to be able to stay at home. I've enjoyed it. We had 10 years out in the outback and we had church on the phone most of that time and we enjoyed that. It was good for us as a family, bonded us as a family And this time has been good for us at home. It's been good for my family. It's drawn us close together again. But brethren, it'll be good to come back to church when that time comes and we can all come back here together to gather together. But brethren, we must agree with God no matter how unpalatable it seems. We must turn to him. If you have a look quickly with me in chapter 4, there's five times when he, he uh, pleads with Israel here or he tells them, starting in verse 6, look, 
I've given you cleanness of teeth in your cities and want of bread in all your places. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. So the aim, the aim always of God's afflictions is to turn us back to him. Always. And the aim of this time of hardship for us in Australia is to turn us back to him. And brethren, we need to pray for those in other countries in the world that are having it really tough. I mean, Australia is doing really well as far as this virus is concerned and we're beginning to open up and, and it won't be long and we'll be able to meet again. But in other parts of the world, it's not that good, as you know. And there's people dying by the hundreds each day in some countries. Brethren, we need to pray for them. God's intent for those nations and the people of those nations is that through this time, it turns them back to him. That's always his intent. It was his intent here in Israel. In verse 8, so two or three cities wandered into one city because he's speaking about droughts there, but they weren't, were not satisfied. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. God's intent in Trials and tribulations is always to turn us back to him. But he says, you haven't, you won't. And five times in that chapter, and I'll leave it to you to look at them and dig them out. But he says, you haven't returned to me. And, and because of that, in verse 12, he says, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Oh, brethren, you and I individually must be prepared to meet our God whenever he calls us. They still had 15 years after Amos's prophecy before the Assyrians began to take them away. God is so patient. 15 more years he gave them. But you and I don't know how long we have. We need to be agreeing with God Walking with him. Listen, number two, listen to God attentively while you have ears to hear, even though they may have been chewed over or mauled by a lion. You know, in our, in our text, there was only a piece of an ear left. Brethren, you and I have our ears still, haven't we? You know, let's hear. The scriptures are very clear. Jesus in the Gospels, eight times it's recorded in the Gospels that he says, you have ears to hear, or he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. You know, eight times Jesus said that. You go to Revelation, and we won't turn there, but in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, when he's speaking to the churches, he says, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Oh, brethren, while we have ears to hear, let's hear. Let's hear. Uh, and then number three, serve God diligently while we have legs that can walk. While we have legs that can walk to hear the word of God. You know, in, in uh, Amos there, in, in chapter 5, I think it is. Where is it? Chapter 5. And he speaks about, um, uh, no, chapter 8. Chapter 8, he says there's a famine coming, that, uh, but not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water in verse 11 of chapter 8 but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. 
Oh, brethren, while we can hear the word preached, we want to be faithful to listen to it, hear it. Because there could be a time coming even here in Australia where you can't find it. You can't find the word of God preached diligently, preached clearly, preached truly. You know, they preached something in Israel, but it wasn't the clear word of God. It was a mixed up mongrel message. Brethren, we need to serve God diligently while we have legs that can walk to hear the word of God, to serve the Lord Christ, to serve the Lord Christ and to seek the Lord. To seek the Lord is spoken of here in in Amos uh, three times at least. In chapter 5, he says uh, in chapter 5 and verse 4, Thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. Seek not Bethel, you know, where their corrupt worship was. Don't enter into Gilgal, that's gone into corruption. Pass not to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught, you know. That's where they'd set up their worship, but it was corrupt was ruined, wasn't, uh, wasn't clear, clean worship to the Lord anymore. And he says again in verse 6, seek the Lord and ye shall live. Verse 8, seek him. And right through scripture we, we have uh, uh, the urge to seek him, don't we? Seek him always, you know. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found in Isaiah. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the Lord and he'll give you what you need. may not give you what you want, but he'll give you what you need. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Oh, brethren, only a remnant shall be saved out of Israel. I trust that each one of us would be, be that remnant, you know, Be diligent to know our God. Be diligent to walk with him. Agree with him. Agree with him. Seek him daily. While you have this lockdown, it's a perfect time to be alone with God. Perfect time to draw close to him. Perfect time to just read your Bible. Don't look at your phone all the time. Don't play games all the time. Read your Bible. Say, I don't understand it. Well, just keep reading it. You know, I didn't understand Amos, but I just kept reading it. And you keep comparing it with other parts of Scripture and it begins to make sense. And it comes out and it comes alive. Oh, the Lord is good to us. Lord bless you mightily. It's been good to be with you today. Amen.